Good morning, friends. How is everybody? Before we get too hardcore into Advent, how was everybody's Thanksgiving? Good, good. I'm not going to rub it in, but we were on the beach. So we had a really good time on Thanksgiving. It was really a lot of fun. The girls really enjoyed themselves, wore us out on a 15-hour trip down there and back, but that's okay. We made it. We survived. I also want to thank everybody for participating in our survey that we had for what song to choose. Obviously, we know which one won. It wasn't my pick, but that's okay. I won't be a sore loser in this case. It still worked out in a great way because what... What else to do at Advent and Christmas season than to adore the one whom we celebrate, who we look forward to the birth of as our, as our Savior Jesus Christ. So we're going to jump in today, kicking off Advent, talking about angels. Angels are all throughout Scripture, but it seems around Christmas, Advent time, angels just become a way bigger deal, don't they? I can remember as a kid when I won that part in the Christmas pageant as the angel. My parents were so proud when I stood up and I said that great line from Luke 2, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. And everybody applauded, and it was wonderful, and my parents were like, that's my kid. But you know, we see angels everywhere. So who here is angel on top of the tree? I'm not, but oh, that's a lot. I'm more of a star kind of gal. We got stars here. We got anybody doing stars? Okay, we got a few. Okay, but angels are definitely the thing that kind of go on top of the tree. We see angels everywhere in decorations, whether they're in our front yard or they're on our ledges. And even throughout culture, we see angels in a lot of movies, from Angels in the Outfield to Michael to the all-time best Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Who can forget Great Clarence, right? And is it really Christmas until we have heard these great words? Look, Daddy, teacher says every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. Right? It just, there's something about when George is holding Zuzu at the end of that movie and she says those words, that it just brings us so much warmth and excitement. But as I was digging into this script, this sermon, and figuring out, okay, God, where are we going on this? I learned there's so much information out there about angels. So I thought, let's do a little Angel 101. So that's what we're going to do. So bear with me as we go through all of this fun. I heard from the first uh, group that you may feel like you're drinking with a water hose, and that's okay because I'm going to throw a lot of information at you. Luckily, this is recorded if you want to go back and learn more. So angels exist to execute God's will and to serve him. They, they act only on God's command and only at his direction. And interestingly enough, there is no Hebrew word in the Old Testament that is equivalent to the word angel that we actually use in the English context. But there's so many different words that the Hebrew language uses to talk about these spiritual beings. Words that talk about their holiness, their divinity, because they are divine just as God is. So much so they were even called Elohim, which is a word in the Old Testament in Hebrew that means God. And they were also referred to as sons of God, which is not a genealogical thing, but just a, a word, a, a way to acknowledge them as being separate from humanity, that they are these divine beings that answer and created for God's will. And then there's also different words used for their function, commander, hosts, armies, watchers. 
But the most common word used in the Hebrew for angels is malach. And malach means messenger. Messenger. That is their main function. And then upon this word is where the Greek builds upon in the New Testament to come up with angelos, which means the one who is sent. The one who is sent. And angelos, of course, is where we get the word angel. Now, angels have lots of different duties. They have lots of different tasks. They make announcements. They give reassurances. They can intervene at times to help change a person's actions. The one that I usually think of is when Abraham is walking with Isaac to go sacrifice him, and the angel intervenes at God's command so that Abraham doesn't have to do that. And then they also act as agents of protection over individuals or over nations. And at times they can even carry out God's punishment. And then we, of course, see angels all throughout the life, the death, the birth, of course, of Jesus Christ. They were with him when he was being tempted by the devil. He said 12 legions of angels could come here and stop this crucifixion. We know all throughout Jesus' life and the resurrection that angels were used to execute this great plan of God's. Now, there's three types of, three categories, if you want to call them that, of angels. The first is cherubim. These are uh, winged creatured beings. So this is sort of a vision as created from Ezekiel's point of view, from that scripture where Ezekiel had a moment with angels. Their main function was to be guardians. They were found all throughout the Old Testament in the, the curtains that separated the inner sanctum from the Holy of Holies. They were found on the carving of the ark. They were also found on olive wood in the temple. And cherubim were also those who were designated as the protectors at the very beginning over the Garden of Eden. These cherubim look very different than most angels that we see, huh? And then the second group is seraphim. Now, the only time that I've really heard of cherubim and seraphim is when we sing that great um, hymn, Holy, 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 where they fall on their knees to worship God. So we know, obviously, that another function of seraphim and cherubim are that they worship God. And so this vision is from Isaiah, which is the only time that seraphim are actually mentioned is when Isaiah talks about them. And so they have six wings, two that cover their face, two that cover their feet, and then two that allow them to fly. And then this last category is one I kind of made up. It's called other. <laughs> wow, that is very, very scholarly, isn't it? Okay, you're welcome. So <laughs> this is where good old Clarence would fall from It's a Wonderful Life. So these are the angels who come with a direct purpose from God to share a message, a vital message of freedom and redemption that God is providing for his people. Now, the first one I want to talk about is called the angel of the Lord. And he is the most divine manifestation of God, the most important one used in the Old Testament. He appeared to all kinds of people, Abraham, Hagar, Lot, Moses, Balaam, Joshua, and Gideon. He led the Israelites out of Egypt when they were freed. And he also made the Canaanites the Israelites' adversaries when the Israelites kept disobeying God. He carried out that type of punishment as well. Now, the angel of the Lord appeared to be human to those that he came to share a message with, 
but there was something very distinctly different about him. So much so that people who saw him worshipped. They felt they had to bow down because they were in the presence of the Holy One. And honestly, there are a lot of theologians out there that believe that this angel of the Lord was truly the God incarnate who had come to share his message, to allow people to take part in the tasks that God's will was carrying out. Secondly, we have Michael. There are two angels named in Scripture. Michael is the first one. He is an archangel, which lets us know that there is a hierarchy of angels. And so Michael is the lead of this army of angels, and he's known as the warrior. So he's found in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And he, uh, in the Old Testament in Daniel, he takes on the prince of Persia, and he overcomes the Persians um, for the... um, for the Israelites. And then we again hear about him in Revelation when he will lead God's angel army against the dragon and his angel army. And so we assume that that is Satan and the fallen angels. And then our third angel, type of angel, which we'll talk about, comes from our scripture today from Isaiah. Isaiah. Wow, I'm all over the place. From Luke. That's where the birth story is. Chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Hear the word of the Lord. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. So who's the third angel? Gabriel. Okay, that was a better response than 830. I thought the 830 folks had still a little bit sleepy from their turkey. So good job. So yes, Gabriel, he is the second of the two named, the third of my other category here. Now Gabriel um, is not the warrior that Michael is, but he is a messenger. He comes to make announcements. We find him in Daniel when he goes to Daniel and helps interpret this vision that God is giving Daniel about the end of times. Of course, he is here with Mary sharing the great announcement that she will give birth to the Son of God. And earlier in Luke 1, she shares with Zechariah that Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. He is also an archangel, but the reason we know he's an archangel is not necessarily from Scripture. A lot of our understanding of angels comes from non-canonical books, which are not books that are in the Bible. They come from the Dead Sea Scrolls and another book called the Book of Enoch. So if you're super interested in all this angel theophany theology that's out there, 
I can hook you up with some good stuff. But let me tell you, we could do a 201 and a 301 and a 401. There's a lot of information about angels out there. So all of this 101, all of this information, where am I going? Well, I really, as I was doing all of this research for this sermon, I come to find out and I come to realize that there's just a lot of misconceptions about angels. There's a lot of stuff out there, especially in the way culture uses angels, that we have then formed our beliefs about angels. So I wanted to just talk about some of those misconceptions and clear some of those up based on Scripture. So the first one is angels don't have bodies. They aren't superhumans. God created them separately from humanity. They are spiritual beings that God uses from time to time in human form to carry out his plan and his will. And they are very different from humans. They are holy as God is holy, a holiness that we cannot experience in this life because of sin. They are also, uh, they, they don't die. And they transcend time. So they aren't bound by the realms of time like we are. They don't know that. They're on God's time. They're not on our time. And then lastly, they don't marry. While we have the choice to marry or not, it's just not who they are. They weren't created to do that. And so they just don't marry. Also, angels are not all-powerful and they're not all-knowing. They don't have the same power as God. They don't have the same knowledge as God. But they are smarter, wiser, and more powerful than we are, than humanity is. And so, fallen angels, where does this go? I know some of you were on the edge of your seat waiting for this conversation, right? What about Lucifer? Well, let's throw that out of our terminology because that doesn't matter. Satan, who I like to call the enemy. Is Satan a fallen angel from heaven? Are there, is there an army of fallen angels that, we will be fighting, that the angels of, of God will be fighting? Here's what I learned about this. There's a lot of information out there about it. A lot of speculation. Here's what else I learned. The Bible doesn't have a lot of it. The Bible doesn't talk a lot about fallen angels, but it does talk about the enemy. So here's some things that I think is very important for us to know. We are at war. There is spiritual warfare. There are spiritual beings that are fighting every single day against God's plan for your heart. The second thing I want us to know about this is that not only do we have angels, does God have his angels who are fighting for us externally, but within ourselves we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit living within us to provide us with comfort and strength and courage and peace and patience to take on whatever spiritual warfare throws at us. Anybody ever decided, I'm going to really dig into God's word, or, you know, I'm really going to dig into who God wants me to be? And then you were faced with a bunch of really crazy hard stuff thrown in your way? That's spiritual warfare. The enemy does not want us getting close to God. The enemy doesn't want us discovering who God is in our lives, and he definitely doesn't want us to discover who we are from the perspective of God and his love for us. So I'm not going to get too in the weeds about this. I know, you guys are really disappointed. That would be a whole two hours, and I decided not to keep you here that long. The last one, which is a really big one, I think, in our culture, is that there are guardian angels that watch over each one of us, and that sometimes those guardian angels can be people that we love or people that have died and then become angels. 
I hate to disappoint all of us for It's a Wonderful Life and how much we love Clarence, but there's just not a lot of scriptural basis for the fact that each one of us has a guardian angel watching over us, nor that when people pass away, they turn into angels. There's just not a lot of scripture that supports that. But angels, of course, do provide protection. And of course, we know from scripture that there can be specific protection for specific people. It can absolutely happen. But more than likely, this protection that the angels are in charge of is over big kind of general groups of, of people. So Israel, for instance, the church, the big C, I like to call it, God is going to protect his kingdom. He's going to protect his people in his kingdom to allow them to carry out the plans that he has for them. And this notion of people turning into angels when they pass away, it's really not crazy because through scripture we do read that people will become like angels whenever they pass on into glory. But we will become like angels. We won't become angels. But we will experience things that angels already experience. We will experience the holiness. The holiness without sin getting in our way. We'll be able to have that full communion with God that we so desperately desire right now. And then we won't be bound by the, the rage of time. We won't have any of that. We'll be on God's time. And the best part is we'll be able to worship to worship God fully with our whole being without ourselves getting in the way. Because isn't God worthy of that? There's this song I've been listening to called Echo Holy by Red Rocks Worship. And one of the lines is, A million angels fall face down on the floor. All to echo holy is the Lord. That's the kind of worship that we were created for, that we were made for. And we'll fully experience that when we are in glory with God, able to have that full communion to give him what he is truly, truly worthy of. So I don't share all of these things to bring us down because I know some of these truths, some of these things that we've sort of built bring us comfort. That's not why I share these things today. I share them because there is still comfort in angels. There's still comfort, but that comfort is who those angels are pointing to. All throughout Scripture, over 300 times, angels are mentioned, they're used, they are obvious. So no doubt, angels are real. God has a host of angels, an army of angels that are watching out for us and doing God's will and His plan, executing a plan that we is way beyond our understanding. And you may have some incredible angel stories to share. I would love to hear them because obviously I don't or I would have shared them today. But the reason we aren't uncomfortable, the reason we aren't afraid is exactly because of what Gabriel said to Mary. Read this first underlined part to me. What does angel Gabriel say to her? Do not be afraid. We are not afraid because Jesus Christ is coming and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. There will be no end to his kingdom. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. We have the Father's love lavished upon us. And we have the promise of the cross, of the atonement that Jesus sacrificed and went through and paid for us so that we could experience his redemption and his freedom and his love. I say all this today because I don't want us to miss the message 
because of the messenger. I realized during the writing of this sermon that I have a beef with angels. <laughs> I really do. I didn't want to write about this. I really struggled. Like, God, what do you want me to say about this? But it's not really angels that I have a beef with. God and I sort of worked that out. And what I found was it's not angels that I have a beef with. It's what we've done to angels. It's the way that we use them. Why is it so much easier when something miraculous happens that we can talk about an angel instead of talking about Jesus? Why is it so much easier for us when something extraordinary that we can't explain, we want to say, oh, that guardian angel, instead of pointing to the one, instead of talking about the one who commanded the angel to act on his behalf. Why is that so hard for us? Why is it so much easier to say angel than it is to say Jesus? We sort of assume when we talk about angels that people pick up what we're throwing down, that we're talking about God, that of course God was in control of this, that of course God took care of this, protected us, helped us through this. But how do we know for sure? How do we know for sure unless we are the ones pointing to him and talking about him? Every time you read about angels in scripture, every single time, they say who they are there on behalf of, God. Even Gabriel in verse 28 says, the Lord is with you. And he doesn't say that because God's with you all the time. He's watching over you. He said it because she was in the presence of God because that angel was there. He made it very clear, as did every angel encounter before and after, that they were there on behalf of the one who sent them there. I don't want us to be consumed with this image of Christmas in a way that makes us lose sight of what Christmas is about. This very important message that Gabriel so obediently delivered to Mary and that Mary so obediently lived into. I don't want us to miss who the angel is pointing to. And the message is this. God loves you. Let me tell you, never have had to work so hard to get to the simplest thesis of all time. <laughs> but it is such the truth about this season, about this time, about the work that God does through his angels, about what he wants us to know about him through their place in his creation. God sent his only begotten son because he loves us. He sent him in the most vulnerable, humble way as a baby in a manger surrounded by animals to be responsible and cared for by two very young very inexperienced very poor parents and that is the reason for the season to look towards and to celebrate the path to the birth of this savior the savior who deeply loves and cares for us. This season, let's look for God in all we do, even in the images of the angels. But let's not worship them. 
when we hear their voice, when we hear us talking about angels, let's thank God for them, for their purpose, for his plan for them. And let's take a lesson from the angels because there are so many lessons to learn from the way that they live and are created for God. Let's worship God as wholeheartedly and as relentlessly as we can. Let's love God and others without limits. Let's obey him above all else. And let's point to God in all we do and in all we say.